Welcome to the podcast by Pleasant Valley, where we talk about biblical truth, address your questions, and seek to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast by Pleasant Valley. I'm your host, Caleb Eisler, and for this week's podcast, we're going to address one of the most profound and common questions I receive over the course of pastoral ministry, namely, how can I know if I'm saved? How can I have assurance of my salvation? And and really, how can I persevere in my faith? These are huge questions about the Christian life that have massive ramifications for our spiritual development and our spiritual comfort and solidity. And so in order to address these questions, we are going to listen into a sermon I recently preached at 20-somethings on January 28th, 2021, about this very topic of assurance and perseverance. This sermon comes as part of our foundation series in 20-somethings, where we look at some of the core doctrines and beliefs of the church so that we can know who we are and what we believe as Christians. So without further ado, let's dive into this recording, and I pray that you would have more confidence in your assurance of salvation as a Christian, and that it would fuel you into deeper ministry for the Lord. Let's dive in. Tonight, we are going to focus on the topic of assurance and perseverance, and uh, I think uh, many of us, this is a topic that's actually really near and dear to our hearts, but it's also one that brings up a lot of fear. And I I experienced that too in my own life. I remember in June 2008, I'm in a hospital room, and the only sounds I can hear are the pitter-patter of rain against the hospital window and uh, just the ever-slowing beat of my great-grandma's heartbeat monitor. And uh, circled around her with uh, my family. She had been on this eight-year battle with Alzheimer's, and the, we knew the end was there. And so we're circled around her, and we're, we, uh, we read Proverbs 31 over her, and uh, we prayed over her, and as we're kind of sitting there in that moment, uh, just praying, uh, you would think there was a leak in the room from the rain because we were just all, we're just sobbing. Um, it gets quiet, and at first kind of imperceptibly, and then we realize it's because it's our heartbeat monitor has stopped. And I remember wrestling with a lot of different things after that happened, but one of the biggest questions that came up in my own life was, uh, If I died right now, if this was it, would I actually go to heaven? Would I I be considered a Christian? Um, And I remember having this incredible fear. I'd grown up in church. I lived what I thought was a basically moral life, but I I didn't know how to discern whether or not I was a Christian. And I was just plagued with fear. And I would imagine that for many of you, uh, you've experienced the exact same thing. Maybe it's a near-death experience. Maybe it's just uh, watching another family member. Or maybe it's, maybe it's just something going on in life. They're just thoughts late at night where you're just wrestling. How do I know if I'm a Christian? How can I have assurance? And so tonight, our goal is basically to answer those questions. Now, again, there's so much more we could say than what we're going to say tonight. But our goal is to give just a surface-level kind of initial answer to those questions that you might have comfort and understanding and so in order to do that, we're going to talk about assurance, and like I said, perseverance. So let's just, before we begin, let's define the terms. Assurance is the confidence that believers can have that they are actually Christians. It is a certainty in their salvation. Perseverance is when Christians endure in their salvation unto the end, unto glory, unto heaven. And we are going to primarily focus on the topic of assurance, but then, as you'll see, it's going to bleed into the topic of perseverance as well. And during our time, just to to do that, we're going to flip back and forth between two primary books, the book of 1 John and the book of Jude. 
And if you have your Bible, um, you'll know if you've got a physical Bible, it's going to be right towards the very end or, you know, on your, uh, your phone. Just scroll to the very end of the New Testament. You're going to find both books right around there. And I encourage you to go there. And just, just a warning, there's going to be a lot of scripture that's going to be here. I'm not expecting you to turn back and forth. They kind of give you whiplash if you went that far. We're going to have a lot of scriptures up on the board. But know that the primary books we're going to be in that you can actually flip to will be 1 John and Jude. Again, I'm going to touch on a lot of verses, but I think you'll see that this topic of assurance and perseverance is all over the scriptures. Assurance is one of the most beautiful doctrines in all of Christianity. And having confidence and certainty about our salvation is a glorious and immensely helpful thing. Scores and scores and scores of verses in Scripture talk about this. We even have a whole book of Scripture written to help us understand assurance. And that's 1 John. John even tells us this in 1 John 5.13 when he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John, and really God himself, want us to have confidence in our faith and salvation. So how, how can we have that confidence? How can we have that assurance? Traditionally, the Bible and also the historic creeds and confessions of the faith have pointed to three primary ways or three pri- primary elements of assurance. Faith in the truth and promises of the gospel, the witness and testimony of the Holy Spirit, and the pursuit of holiness and the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. So these three points are going to serve as kind of our basic outline for the evening, and then we'll transition to talk a little bit about perseverance at the end. So let's start with number one. The first and primary foundation for assurance is the truth and promises of the gospel and us placing our faith in those things. Faith in Jesus is the ground of our assurance of salvation. 1 John 4, 15-17 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is so as, because as he is, so also we are in this world. If you have repented from your sins and put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, then you're a Christian. Romans 10.9 tells us, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The foundation of your assurance is faith in the salvation that Jesus offers us. But I'm not, I'm not naive. I, I know that there are going to be some of you tonight, or maybe even afterwards, you might even initiate the conversation where you would say, Caleb, I I totally get the faith in Jesus is what makes me a Christian. But to be honest, my faith feels really, really, really weak right now. How on earth can I have assurance in my faith when my uh, my faith is so weak? Like, how, how do I rest in my salvation when I feel so weak in faith? When I look at others and see the depth of their faith and just the energy of their faith, I just feel totally inadequate. I feel like I've got no assurance at all. How can I trust in, in what I have there? <clears throat> I imagine that many of you have felt this. I, I know I have. To answer this, I want to point us to an illustration from a theologian named D.A. Carson. And the, and the illustration goes like this. Picture two Jews, guys named Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. And they're having a discussion the night before the Passover and Exodus. And Smith says to Brown, 
Aren't you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight when the angel of death passes over? Don't you think uh, it's going to be kind of nerve-wracking? I mean, do you even think your son is going to make it through the night? And Brown replies, God told us to do through, what to do through Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel? Are you packed and ready to leave the city? And are you ready to eat unleavened bread with the Passover meal? Haven't you done all of that? Smith says, of course. Of course I've done all of that. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary with everything that's gone on lately, with the plagues and the river turning to blood. Maybe Braden was around then. Uh, just craziness going on. And now, on top of all this, there's the, there's the threat that our firstborn sons may die. Now, that's if we don't follow the Lord's instruction. That is just terrifying. And that's all right for you. I, I get it because you've only got, you know, you've got three sons, but I've only got one son. So this is a big deal for me. I follow the Lord's instructions, but I'm still really nervous. I'm going to be glad when this night is over. Brown replies, bring it on. I, I trust in the promises of God. That night, <clears throat> when the angel of death passes over, which one of the men lost their son? Which one of the men lost their son that night? And the answer, of course, is neither. Neither one lost their son. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of their faith, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. And it is the same with you and me. If you have followed God's instructions, if you pursue Him and do your best to seek Him and obey Him, and you have put your trust in Him, your trust rests on His blood that He shed for you at the cross, you will be saved. The intensity of your faith is not determined whether or not you are saved. It is the object of your faith. It is the object of your faith. It is Jesus that your faith is grounded in, and that is what gives us security. And this leads us to our second element of assurance, the testimony and the witness of the Holy Spirit. First John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. Romans 8.16-17 continues this thought when Paul says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So when you accept Christ, God's very own Spirit comes to dwell within you. The Spirit intercedes on your behalf and testifies that you are a child of God. Additionally, from time to time, the Holy Spirit even gives us a special sense of nearness to God. And we, we, many of us have been there. And it is one of the coolest and most beautiful things of life. And we feel that special nearness the Holy Spirit provides to God. Also, the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul tells us that when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of God's glory. So, if you are a Christian here tonight, God has given you His Holy Spirit as a seal for your salvation. The Spirit testifies to your faith, and it means that God is with you every single step of the way. You are not alone. That in itself should give us a lot of cause for assurance. What's more, God's Spirit stirs us up to do the final of our three elements of assurance. 
The Holy Spirit sanctifies us and stirs us up to pursue holiness and to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. In fact, one of the clearest signs that we are Christians is that we strive for holiness, we fight sin, and we seek to obey God. 1 John 2, uh, verses 3-6 through 6 tell us this, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, and if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word... In Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, if you are striving for holiness and you're fighting sin and seeking to obey God and to love your neighbors, that is a clear sign of your salvation. Now, this is where many of us get nervous. Because sure, we try to fight sin, we love God, we love our neighbors, we're trying to do all of that, and yet we seem to stumble time and time and time again. We battle sin and seem to lose the battle more times than we would comfortably like to admit. And our sin breaks our hearts and we repent it often, but we still lose that battle sometimes. Maybe it's at this point of fighting sin and pursuing holiness that causes us to stumble. We look at our imperfections and we wonder how we could possibly be Christians. Let me provide an illustration from a pastor named Kevin DeYoung that might prove helpful. When my little cousin Parker was a toddler, he would sometimes draw pictures of me. And he'd come up to me with this big smile and he'd say, Caleb, 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 look at this picture I drew of you. Caleb, look at it, look at it. And he, he, you know, he would just look at me with these big eyes, just anxiously waiting to see my reaction. And I remember looking at the very first picture he ever drew of me. He was just this little, little kid. And uh, totally honest, it looked nothing like me. I mean, it, it was, it, you know, you guys have seen children's drawings. Uh, my hair was blue. Everything was all out of proportion. My midsection was like this huge ball, which maybe actually wasn't out of proportion. But uh, it just, it looked nothing like me. Now, I, I could have sat there and I could have said, this is awful. I, I could have done such a better job. This is the worst picture I've ever seen. Uh, did you even try? Now, that, that wouldn't go over very well, and I love my cousin, and I, I watched him earnestly draw that picture in love to the best of his ability. And so because of that, I said, thank you. I love you. I gave him a big hug. I took the picture, and I cherished that. I think that is a picture of how God views our attempts to pursue him. He's not asking for perfection. We are not God. We cannot be perfect. Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf. But he is asking for our all. He's asking for us to strive after him, to do it in love, to, to strive after him earnestly, to fight sin to the best of our ability. We are going to stumble from time to time. We repent, we go to God, and we enjoy his embrace, and we seek to follow him even better. If you are struggling in the battle with sin, but you are earnestly seeking the Lord in love, repenting of your sin, and working to fight it, then take heart. That's a sign that the Spirit is at work within you. Keep fighting the good fight. God is with you. We have to seek to view him as a loving father, not just as a judge. Don't just get fixated on one sin and despair. If you, if you think about like an apple tree, if you're looking at that apple tree and, and most of the fruit looks great, but there, there's this one apple that, that looks kind of rotten, you wouldn't say that's a bad tree. You would say you, you, you take that apple off, you throw it out, and, and you, you try to continue to grow the tree. It looks good. But sometimes what we can do in our life is, it's like we just take a picture of that one apple, 
And we just fixate on that and we think, oh, the whole tree's rotten. And if you showed us, showed me a picture, I'd assume, yeah, the tree's rotten. But we have to step back and say, okay, the whole of our life, are we pursuing the Lord? Are we fighting sin to the best of our ability? Yes, we're going to stumble. But if you were to talk to your friends, can, would they say they are seeing you grow in grace all along the way? Is the trajectory upward? Well, then it's okay. It's okay. And we don't, we don't rejoice in the rotten apple. We, we throw it out, we repent, and we keep on striving after God. We can't fixate on one sin. Satan loves when we do that because it causes us to despair. Let the assurance of your salvation fuel you to follow God in greater and more holier measure. Now, I have to, I have to take a quick aside because most of this message is meant to encourage you, to edify you, to give you comfort. But there are probably some of you here tonight who actually that would be an unhelpful thing to do. Maybe, maybe you're someone that you go to church every single Sunday, you tithe faithfully, you serve in the church, you read your Bible, but if you are honest, you are not broken over your sin. You may intellectually assent that sin is wrong, and maybe even you, you throw up kind of a lame prayer, but no effort, there's no brokenness, and you move on with your conscience totally clear. In that case, you are no different than the Pharisees. They followed the rules, but this only puffed them up into pride and self-reliance. One of the clearest hallmarks of salvation is brokenness over sin. So, I, I, I would be remiss if I preached this message and just ended up puffing up certain people in pride. So, if that's you, do the hard self-analysis to say, am I broken over my sin? Because what I wouldn't want to happen is for you to hear this message of assurance and just be assured in your sin. Yes, there is grace and there's forgiveness, but we have to be broken over our sin. Our good deeds publicly should not fuel us up into pride. If, if you follow the direction of the Christian life, you will actually become more humble because you will actually see your sins even more clearly in contrast to the holiness of God. And that's what our journey needs to look like. But if that's you, there's still hope. There's still forgiveness. Seek repentance. There's still grace for you if you're broken enough over your sin, willing to accept it and see your need for it. Assurance is not to fuel us towards sin or anything like that. It's to shoot us towards holiness. So, if you are here tonight and you are repentant and pursuing holiness, however imperfectly, you can have assurance. Don't let Satan throw you into despair while you are broken over your sin. Christians have wrestled with this for many, many, many years. They've wrestled with spiritual despair for centuries. The famous reformer Martin Luther counseled people through this very problem. In July 1530, Luther wrote to Jerome Weller, a 31-year-old friend who had previously lived in the Luther home, who tutored his children and was now struggling with spiritual despair. And catch what Luther says to Weller. He says this, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell, but what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus, the Son of God, and where he is, I shall be also. So as you are pursuing the Lord, don't let Satan take advantage of a stumble into sin. Repent and, and use that chance. When you stumble into sin, you feel that brokenness to point yourself right back to Jesus. You will thwart every plan of Satan if you do that, and you can rest in the assurance of God as you do so. We can take comfort in the forgiveness of Jesus as we repent of our sins and pursue Jesus in holiness. One, one, one final thing before we go to a question. It's this. 
So we've covered the three primary elements of assurance, namely faith in Christ, the witness of the Spirit, and pursuing holiness. But how can we best pursue assurance in totality? What do we do if we don't feel assurance? I mean, I know this is not an intellectual exercise. This is a serious question. This is a serious matter that has on-the-ground practical consequences for you and I, whether or not we feel assurance. To be clear, feeling assurance is not a requirement for salvation. Charles Spurgeon once said this, though, Full assurance is not essential for salvation, but it is for satisfaction. I believe we can have assurance, and it is one of the sweetest and most precious truths in the world. It is the glorious and powerful fuel for pursuing God in our lives. Just because you don't feel like you have assurance doesn't mean it isn't yours to claim. Satan loves bringing accusations against us that cause us to question our salvation. But if we trust in Christ and have therefore been sealed by the Spirit and are pursuing God earnestly, even if imperfectly, we can have assurance. We can know intellectually that we have assurance even if we don't feel it emotionally. So, if we don't feel assurance emotionally, how do, how do we seek that? Well, when we aren't feeling assured, we seek it by leaning into the truths of the gospel. Pastor Greg Gilbert has this beautiful analogy here. He says this, he calls our attention to a speedometer and the pedal of a car. And then he asks this question, how do you make a car go faster? Well, you don't play with the needle of the speedometer to make the car go faster. You, you can push that needle up and down all day, but it doesn't affect the speed of the vehicle. The only way to make the vehicle go faster is by stepping on the gas pedal. That's the only thing that will make it accelerate. Now, think about the Christian life. If we want to feel more assurance, we shouldn't, we shouldn't just seek to rile up our emotions. That's like pushing up the needle of our life for the, to get the speedometer to go faster, the car to go faster. Emotions come and go. We need a solid ground for assurance. It is the gospel and the outworking of it in our lives that is our only ground for true assurance. Leaning into the gospel is like stepping upon the gas pedal. It is the only true way to accelerate. And if we're leaning into the gospel, sooner or later we will begin to feel more assurance too, even if it's not immediately. So when you don't feel assurance, don't give in to sin. When you don't feel assurance, don't, don't just try to rile up your emotions by reading a page from Jesus Calling and singing the bridge to oceans ten times. Don't just try to rile up your emotions. Sorry, that was a little, that was a little much. Uh, step on the gas pedal of the gospel and lean into the glorious truths of the gospel. That is the ground of your assurance. That's how you pursue perseverance, which drives us into assurance, which then will fuel our perseverance, as we're going to see. Pressing into the truths of the gospel is exactly what Paul does in Romans 5, 1 through 5, when he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace, which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we struggle to feel assurance, we have to press into the truths of the gospel to, to pursue perseverance. As we persevere, we will grow in assurance. Our daily lives are exercises in leaning into the gospel in all things so we can persevere in the faith and rest in assurance as we journey to the shore of glory. 
we, we have, we've talked a lot about assurance tonight, but how does assurance relate to perseverance? Uh, how do those things go together? Well, the relation is vital, and it goes like this. When we don't feel assured, but are seeking holiness and trusting in Christ, what is the best way to pursue assurance? It's by pursue, pursuing perseverance. And how do you pursue perseverance? It's by driving yourself back to the gospel and the very reasons we are told we can have assurance. It is this beautiful kind of circular process of connection. The best way to strive to persevere in the faith, which will stir up your assurance, is to pursue the ground of your faith in the gospel. Rest in the reality that Jesus paid the price for your sins, and he died the death that you deserve to die. And he rose again on the third day, defeating death and offering you eternal life. If you put your trust in that, you can rest and have assurance, and it's a fuel for your perseverance. When we aren't feeling assured, we can seek perseverance by leaning into the truths of the gospel. Perseverance is an activity of leaning into the truths of the gospel to see Jesus as Savior and is better than anything else the world has to offer. So every single time you face temptation to sin, and you're battling with that, and you're trying to overcome, you are seeking to persevere. Every time you step into the church building, and you worship, or you listen to the word preached, you are seeking to persevere. Every time you do a quiet time, or listen to worship music, whatever that looks like, you are seeking to persevere. You are seeking to show yourself the truth of the gospel, and to see that Jesus is better than anything else. You are seeking to persevere, and as you do that more, you will have a deeper and deeper sense of assurance over the long haul, even if it's not immediately. Perseverance is not a sprint. It is a long journey for us. We've got to think of it like a marathon. I've never run a marathon, and I don't even think I could, but if I did, I would not be running the whole time. <laughs> I'd probably be walking a lot. I would be stopping to take a breath. It, you know, it, it would be almost impossible to get to the finish line, and when I did, I would just collapse in exhaustion. It would not be this perfect trajectory where I'm, I'm running the whole way, like if Corey Shear ran a marathon. That's like that for our Christian lives. We are not going to have this perfect pace the whole way. There may be points in our Christian lives where we are stopping to take a breath and perceptively, you know, we don't have this live faith in the same way we might have when we were coming out of a Summerfest high, for those of you who went to PV. And it's okay to recognize that. The key is that we finish the race. We keep on pressing on. So if you're in a season where it feels like you're walking or maybe even standing still, it's okay. You don't have to fear, but do whatever it takes to stir your affections up to press on to finish the race. Perseverance is exactly what the book of Jude calls us to. Jude tells us in verses 20 and 21, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Peter furthers this thought in 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11, when he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Perseverance is nothing but keeping ourselves in the love of God by pursuing Him and therefore confirming our salvation. And the best way to persevere and to keep ourselves in God's love is to lean into the truths of God's love in the gospel. To lean into the truth of salvation and to trust in that salvation. The best ways to lean into the truth of the gospel 
Again, are spending time with God in the Bible and in prayer and through engaging in worship and community within the life of the church. Many of the things that Nick just said, many of you just said. Notice what the author of Hebrews says in verses 22 to 25 of chapter 10. He says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, we can rest in the truths of the gospel by being around other believers. Other believers can help us stir up our affections to press on in the race, to have perseverance, and to deepen our assurance. What we are doing right now here at 20-somethings is an exercise in perseverance. We are stirring one another up to love God. When we sing songs of praise, when we listen to the word preached, when we have community with fellow believers, we are stirring one another up. And my prayer is that when you walk out of the doors, you would feel more encouraged than you did when you walked in. That people would notice a difference in us when we go out in the communities because of the time we've spent together stirring one another up in love for God. But some of you here tonight might be saying, okay, Caleb, I I understand everything you're saying about perseverance and assurance, and it's all great, but just to be honest, this sounds so hard. You've given me so many things that I should do. Fight sin, lean into the gospel, pursue community more, and it's all great, but it is so hard. And I'm not sure if I can do it. I I don't think I'm strong enough. To which I would say, you are not. You are not strong enough in yourself to do all of these things. But the beauty is that you are not alone. You are not alone in this journey. See, there's a thread that goes through every single part of the discussion we've had tonight, and every verse we've read, and it may not be immediately obvious, but it is the ground of everything. And that thread is that God is the one who ultimately upholds us. He has been there all along, every single step of the way. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Without him, salvation would be impossible. In your own power, in my own power, we would be utterly helpless. I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but it is a miracle that you and I are still Christians. On our own power, we couldn't possibly do it. If there was something we could do to make us lose our own salvation, we would have already done it. We we would have already been gone. But through the power of God, you and I can be upheld in the faith and draw nearer and nearer to the Father. It is God who is upholding the universe and it is God who upholds you in your faith. Just just take a moment and think about your salvation story. Think about your Christian journey since you came to Christ and picture some of those most profound moments along the way, whether it's a summer camp or a mission trip or during a quiet time, or during a conversation with a friend. Just take, take a moment. I'll give you two or three seconds. Think, think of those moments. Get some of those in your mind. In the heat of those moments, it feels as if it is entirely you and I working every step of the way, as if it is us working out every single detail. 
But if you look back at the broader picture, I think you will find that God's fingerprints were all over each and every single one of those moments. God is the one by His Spirit who stirred up your heart that night at camp. God providentially arranged the conversation with the friend from where you first heard the gospel. God stirred in the hearts of those who donated so that you could go on a mission trip and have your life changed. And I could go on and on and on and on of different ways that God has been there all along. But I think you get the point. Of course, we are making real decisions. Of course, we are taking real actions. But this is the beauty that God is there upholding us every single step of the way. I'm sure you've seen the Footprints poem, and I'm not, I'm not going to read it again, but I'm sure every one of our grandmas probably has it in their bathroom somewhere. But it is a classic example of the way God upholds us every step of the way. Like a little child who's sitting on his dad's lap, and he's got his hands on the wheel, and he, he's driving, he's steering, but the whole way, the dad has one hand on the wheel, and, he, and he's still got his foot on the gas pedal. We are, we are doing real things, yet God is still in control. And this is the mystery of God's sovereignty and our freedom. And it is above everything we could ever comprehend. We, we cannot understand this. This is above our pay grade. It's just as Isaiah says in his prophecy, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So yes, we are to pursue God with all of our might, leaning in the truths of the gospel and trusting in the promises of God as we pursue holiness, perseverance, and assurance. And yet all along the way, God is the ground of it all, upholding us every single step of the way. And this is not meant to cause us to throw our hands up in questioning or confusion, but throw our hands up in worship. We can rest in the glory and power of God as we strive after Him in love. And we can rest in the glorious truth articulated by John Piper. Those whom God calls, He keeps. We can rest in God's strength and power to uphold us as we listen to Jesus' words in John 6 and John 10. Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them from my hand. My Father has given them to me, and is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We can rest in that, that no one can snatch us from God's hand. We can rest in Paul's truth in Philippians 1.6 when he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Or we can rest in Isaiah's words. In Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Our salvation and perseverance do not originate with us. Just as John says in 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. So, we can rest in the truth of the gospel. We can strive after God in love and holiness. And we can rest in the fact that God is upholding us every step of the way.
So we're going to end our time praising the one who saved us and who upholds us and keeps us as we pursue him with all of our might. So there's no better way we could end this than by closing with Jews' doxology. So I'm going to, I'm going to read these verses. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come up and finish with one last time of worship together. Jude says this in Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for the podcast by Pleasant Valley. If you want to hear more from us, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, pleasantvalley.org. God bless.